welcome to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast, where in every episode we explore what is research culture and what should it be. You'll hear thoughts and opinions from a range of contributors to help you change research culture into what you want it to be. Welcome to episode three in season four that focuses on research careers. My name is Ruth Winden, and I'm the Careers with Research Consultant at the University of Leeds. One of the absolute joys of my role is that I get to know the most wonderful people who have a clear vision and a compelling reason to do research. My guest today is a highly accomplished education consultant who has decided later in life to do a PhD. As we were discussing the rewards and challenges of experienced professionals coming into the university sector to embark on a PhD, we thought our discussion points would be good to share, as so-called mature postgraduate researchers are actually a large cohort in universities, but they don't always get the visibility and support they need. So without further ado, I'd very much like to welcome Marion Talbot. Hello, Ruth. Nice to be here. Yeah, Mary and you and I, we've had a number of conversations and I wanted to thank you for that because it's so good to understand more about your perspective. I have a bit of a soft spot for mature PGRs <laughs> because when I came to this country, I was called mature at the tender age of 27. And I always felt a little bit like the odd one out as I was surrounded by 21 year olds, you know, who had a slightly different approach to life than me because I was a few years older. And so I thought, you know, at the university, we have a large cohort of mature PGRs. And you now had conversations about the, the pros, the cons, you know, the joys, the challenges. And so I thought, let's have a conversation together, Marianne, and see, you know, what we can share. So over to you. Tell us a bit more about your research to start with? Okay, so my research um, is looking at the impact, hopefully positive, um, of a very particular kind of professional development that teachers in secondary schools are offered. Um, actually, it's offered beyond secondary schools, and I have uh, learners coming from all sorts of places who work in educational assessment who want to take this qualification, which is to become a chartered education, being engaged in the research community in that way is those light bulb moments mm. when someone says something or you read something in a paper that really resonates with not just my current research, although that's lovely, of course, but with my experience, you know, and it validates what I've been learning across the years about educational assessment or about the psychology of, of teaching and learning and assessing. Um, and I love those light bulb moments. That's part of what motivates me and keeps me going and keeps me engaged as well. So that's also a really important part of, um, of why and how I do this. Mm, and I hear loud and clear from you, Mary, and it's, it's also having that lived experience gives you different access to the theory and the discussions. Mm. I mean, I, I find that in the careers field, because I have been in the field for so long, I can relate to the theory differently than when I started out. And mm. that's one of the advantages of having a lot of experience when you come to come to these things. So tell mm. me a little bit more about what, what are the challenges? I mean, do you feel like the odd one out? I mean, that's the workshop I run at the university um, because I felt the odd one out. And I hear that description often, you know, oh, I feel a bit like the odd one out. And I don't want to cement that perception, but is there something about it? 
there's definitely something about it. I mean, intellectually, I know I'm not the odd one out because I've met, you know, numerous other mature and inverted commas PGRs at Leeds. Um, so I know they're there and I know that and that's not just in the School of Education, but in other schools as well, which is great. Um, but sometimes I know I'm the only mature PGR in a session. Um, and sometimes that's absolutely fine and great. And I can say as much or as little as I want to. Um, but I am conscious sometimes I've got maybe a lot more to say than those who aren't mature PGRs. And I can completely get that. I completely understand that because they're not keeping their powder dry. They just haven't got that depth of experience yet to be able to speak up or have maybe even coherent thoughts about some of the things they're being asked to talk about, whereas I have. Um, it is really great sometimes when I'm not the only mature PGR in a session and there's a, you know, a, a number of us and we can all bring a wide variety of experiences to the table. And that is fantastic. Um, and I hope gives the non-mature PGRs something to aspire to and to realise that, you know, there is, yeah, a great, a P, PhD is a great thing, but there's actually lots of life that you need to get under your belt as well to be um, probably a, a really successful professional. Um, and I'm not talking about academia here. I'm talking about the, the more commercial side of the world. Um, so sorry, have I answered your question there? Ruth? Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting because my, my oldest um, who did psychology, there were quite a lot of mature undergraduates with him. And I remember him complaining about, you know, they always sit in the front row and they know everything. And it's really annoying because we are young and we're, you know, we haven't had those experiences and they're just always, always, always there, you know. And it was interesting because I obviously, you know, have a very different perspective being on the other side. Um, but it's it's creating that community. And I think I often also look at the younger ones and think, what can I learn from them? Absolutely. And I do every time learn something from, I mean, as a trainer, which is what most of my paid work is these days, um, I know what it's like to have a room full of people who don't say anything and who won't engage. Uh, you know, it is like pulling teeth sometimes. Um, and you sometimes you only need that one person to be brave and make a contribution and it sets the ball rolling. And that's really, really um, valuable vital in most instances but you do need that one person to be brave and it's often the person with the most experience in the room mm. um and I, I i completely understand that um but i think setting a good example being a role model is actually part of what what i am and what any mature pgr probably needs to be um you know, you don't want to be the sulky one sat at the back, not saying anything. You want to be the the eager one, at, as you say, in the front row. Yes, I can talk about that. I can talk about that. Um, maybe not till the cows come home, but at least to, to get the conversation going. Yeah. And you're always good at that um, because I noticed that when you come into our sessions, I was saying, phew, sigh of relief, Marianne is here. We're bound to have some very constructive questions <laughs> and also challenges, which I absolutely love. You know, you're good at challenging me. And that's what I really also appreciate. I, I love a good question. I mean, I think yeah. that's that's part of the, the natural curiosity, isn't it? That what's the point of doing any of this if we're not going to ask questions, even if we don't like the answers or understand them? We, I think we're kind of on a bound to keep asking questions. 
Absolutely. Now we talk a little bit about, you know, being part of that PGR community. You're obviously also one of the PGRs who is not necessarily on campus as much as others. You're not part of a doctoral training program because as I understand it, you're you're self-funded and, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you don't meet with colleagues every day. So what is that experience like? I spend a lot of time in Teams and Zoom meetings, but that's okay. Um, not not a huge amount of time, I have to say, but generally when I meet with people, it's online. There's there's very few people at Leeds that I've met face to face. Really interesting. Um, and it, it's quite exciting when I do arrange to meet someone face to face. But um, I guess it's about making sure that I put myself out there to some extent, because I know I'm not able to bump into someone in a coffee shop or say at the end of a lecture in a lecture theatre, shall we go for a coffee and have a chat about what we've just been hearing about? I can't I can't do that. Um, so I've made myself and, and this is not not in any way a problem because I am curious about all of these things. I've attended various, as you know, careers development sessions. Um, I've been to a lot of the well-being support service sessions about things like imposter syndrome and so on, which really interest me, but have also enabled me to feel like part of that community, researcher community. Um, so I do spend a lot of time on screens talking with people. Uh, I've put myself forward for the Hillary Place Papers Editorial Board, which is the journal the School of Education produces at least once a year. That's really interesting and a way to get to know people quite well, I think, um, as well as obviously helping my kind of research profile uh, and, and skills associated with that. But there are other things beyond leads, beyond that, that I've been able to get involved in as well, which is actually attending real in-person conferences, Ruth. Very exciting. <laughs> um, I've done a couple and I've got a couple more lined up. So that's that's really nice, actually. Um, now that conferences have resumed in person, I can put myself out there. I've presented, um, but also just meeting other people and, and having that chance to network and make connections and hear about other people's research is really, really valuable, I think. Um, And I've got involved with the Leeds Research Crucible programme. Yeah, another group of people, you know, committed to looking at the culture of research within the university and how that could be improved or should be improved, maybe. Um, And led a project um, related to that, which was fantastic. Not an amazing way. I mean, I did meet a lot of people through it, um, but because my project, I was working with someone I already knew, I wouldn't say it's a way of necessarily establishing, for me, establishing a new collaborative working relationship. But I think others have, and I think that's really exciting to see. So lots beyond the kind of maybe everyday research activities, which has really excited me, actually. And and I find an invaluable, if not even more valuable part of the experience of being a PGR Leeds. Mm, And it's so clear to me, you know, you've made such an effort in creating those communities because, you know, that's how we met because you're very engaging, Mm. you know, you you don't shy away from getting in touch, which I absolutely love. And it means you are engaged in lots of different parts of the university and and beyond in, in your field. And that's so good to hear because one of the complaints I hear often is, I don't have a sense of belonging because I'm not on campus. And what you've just described is that you've actually created that sense of belonging, at least to some extent, mostly virtually. But I actually think, you know, that's also a fantastic opportunity and way to do that we didn't have before. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it is 
poignant, though, isn't it, that most of what I've described is not within my school. It's not within the School of Education. I feel less attached to the School of Education because I'm not physically there, I think. Um, So it's quite an interesting area for me because I really want to feel part of that School of Education community. But I just it doesn't seem to quite um, cater (laughs) for the mature PGR in maybe the way that, that it could do. Um, whereas I think, you know, overall, the university has quite a lot going on that that I can engage with, but it's not school related. It is university related. Mm. Um, and that's not necessarily a criticism. Um, it's just the way it is at the moment, I think. Um, I do think there's scope for improvement, though. So what ideas do you have? Because I'm always keen to hear from the researchers themselves. What ideas do you have, Marianne, to help you feel more embedded um, part of a department or a school? Mm. I mean, it's, it is, for me, looking back, my first year, which was the academic year 2021 into 22, um, there was a fortnightly meeting of PGRs um, in the school, uh, virtually, not physically in the school, it was held in teams. Um, there was no expectation that you would attend, but you were very welcome to attend. It was facilitated by, you know, a fairly senior member of staff in the in the school. Um, and there was usually someone talking a, bit, a little bit about their current research or there was a, a focus on presenting at conferences or preparing for transfer. You know, there was some kind of topic that would be discussed. But you could equally, you could bring any topic to the table and talk about anything that was kind of worrying you or affecting you at that point. And it was a fairly safe space. You know, there was never more than maybe 10, 12 PGRs in the virtual room. Um, And that hasn't happened this academic year because I think the move back to doing stuff on campus, doing stuff in person has kind of maybe overwhelmed the demand for the virtual stuff. So I think that's possibly why I feel slightly more disconnected this year. And I do think if we're going to continue allowing people like me to to live and work, you know, more than 100 miles away from campus, therefore it's not realistic to expect us to turn up very often, then we have to support those kind of virtual um, sessions as well. And I don't just mean stick it in the calendar and expect the PGRs to manage it themselves. It needs to be led and facilitated by a member of staff mm. and probably a fairly senior member of staff uh, to act as a bit of a draw and a bit of a, someone, you know, to actually manage the process. Um, so that's one thing. Um, and the other thing that drives me slightly crackers, well, maybe some people would sound slightly crackers anyway, is that we get lots of invitations to talks in the school, lots and lots, at least two or three a week. But we tend to get the invitations two or three days in advance. And if you're not on campus, you're not living in Leeds, that is not feasible to attend. And very unlikely that you're going to be able to drop everything and travel to Leeds in 48 hours time. Um, yet there must be a programme of these things. <laughs> set up in advance you know someone somewhere must have sight of this and I you know I recognize that last minute changes might happen and last minute things might get added in but not every week week after week after week surely so I think having that planned program of activities doesn't have to be academic papers it could be anything in the school planned wise uh, available at the beginning of each term maybe uh, would really help people who are working remotely plan when they can come to campus Um, and can engage in something academic, something social, one of each, two of each over the course of a few days. Um, I think that might make a bit of a difference. Mm, Yes, Um, really, really good points here because, you know, back in my days when 
you know, I'm going back decades now. And when we were on campus all the time, we didn't know anything else. You know, how often did I walk past these um, walls with posters on? I'm, I'm a curious, nosy person, you know. So, you know, there were all these posters and the things and you'd write them down and then you'd show up, you know. And now we have technology. And, you know, how can we use that technology to, to you know, people be part of a community who are not necessarily on campus mm. you know that that's that's a really good point and then also the point you raise about there's so much you can learn from each other you know other pgrs going through the same experience even said oh i'm not the only one or how did you resolve this or what are you discussing or what are you researching you know is there any um link between what we do you know this is this is sort of the the joy of doing research isn't it and i hear mm. you say having more of that organized by the university is really important because you had the taste of it and you really love to mm -hmm. gain something mm -hmm. and, and now you're missing it. So that's, yeah. that's a really good point. Yeah. And there's a real strength in having the newer PGRs meet those who are, you know, a year or two or three more on in their journey. Yeah. Um, and it allows the newer PGRs to learn from them, but equally it allows the more experienced PGRs to reflect on their experiences and how did I do this? How did I manage this? And yeah. I think that's a really, um, important skill actually for any PGR to have as yeah. they progress through their research it goes the both ways to doesn't back. it yeah absolutely yeah. you know so it helps you reflect and recognize things it's a bit like you know when I mentor younger colleagues you know for me it's all pretty obvious but sometimes oh yeah you know this is this is how I do it and this is the reason why I do it I just don't even think about it anymore it's just intuitive great yeah. now one thing I wanted to talk to you about and I know that is something that I hear many mature PGRs share with me, and that is this new experience of being a seasoned professional, someone with a certain standing, status, success, recognition. Then you come into the university sector to do PhD, and suddenly you're almost like a, a beginner again, but at the same time you have all that experience. And is there something that the university can do to help recognize people as they are because it must be quite conflicting to think on the one hand i am an experienced professional i have a lot of experience and sometimes i would guess more practical experience for instance of education than academics who've been researching education all their lives so how can the university encompass that and you know appreciate and benefit mm. from that experience I think that's a really tricky one, actually. Um, and I know I've I've probably mentioned this to you once or twice before, Ruth, about induction. And I think this this comes down to um, asking people at induction, not just saying you need to know about X, Y and Z, but saying, do you know about X, Y and Z? Because if you do, don't worry about going to this session. But if you want to know more about why, go to this session. Uh, and if you don't know anything about Z, definitely go to this session. I felt that I didn't really have an induction. <laughs> it was it was a bit hit and miss. And I know people say, well, it's all in Minerva. But if you don't know it's all in Minerva, how on earth are you going to find out? So I think the induction for any PGR is critical, I think. But for maybe for mature PGRs, it could be a bit more nuanced. Um, and, you know, I, obviously we haven't got time to go into the detail of that here. But um, an example might be, um, the modules that we're encouraged to take as PGRs. We're not, we don't have to do them, but we're encouraged to audit them. But there's no real 
explanation of the rationale for that? Or is it more important to do module one or module two? Or, you know, are some more important than others? And I think that kind of discursive text induction would be really helpful. It can be a video, it can be whatever, um, but something to help people understand what they're letting themselves in for as well um, and what they have to prioritise over those first few weeks and months. And I think that would set aside quite a lot of what you described about the kind of the anxiety almost of feeling like a beginner because you would feel more in control or I would have felt more in control of what mm. I was doing and also what I was not doing. You know, I don't need to worry about data management because I, I can do that in my sleep kind of thing. I need to know what the rules are for doing it in a university, but I don't need to go to a kind of six-week course about it, mm. <laughs> that kind of thing. And I think yeah. the recognition from the university that mature PGRs probably don't need to do some of this stuff, but they do need to know that they need to be aware of it and to, to you know, put themselves forward as saying, yes, I, I, don't, I don't feel the need to do another course about this. I feel confident in my knowledge about whatever it is. Right. So that's that's just one small area. I mean, it's it's a big area, but it's one small suggestion, I guess. Mm, that's really really helpful. So it's basically like an MOT, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, almost yes, almost you know. And it's because I think the university is obviously trying that. You know, every PDR needs to do X Y Z because we need to make sure you have all the foundations and you know you're aware of all the aspects that you need to consider when you're an active researcher. And I hear you say, well. But some mature PGRs actually have a lot of experience that is equivalent and they've covered that already, but there is no way to really showcase that or, mm. or make people aware. And so you go through lots of things that you might not actually need or that, you know, I mean, I know that you say, well, some of the stuff I could actually teach, <laughs> but, you know, um, that, that personalized support, I, I get that. Can we talk a little bit about careers? Mm. Because that's obviously, you know, was was my my driver here. Um, <laughs> as a as you came to the PGR, did you have thoughts about the validation? I get that, you know, the validation from the PhD. You said that early on, Marian. You know, how does my community, my clients, my colleagues, you know, how do they see a, a PhD? And you know, that that yeah, that recognition of your expertise through a PhD. Is there anything else that motivated you? What are your hopes and expectations mm. from doing the PGR? Yeah, I mean, my really my really basic motivation is that I'm really interested in the question that underlies my research. You know, it's really close to my heart. I get very invested in the courses that I lead and the participants in those courses. And, and then, you know, mentoring them through the process of becoming a chartered educational assessor. But then by and large, we don't tend to keep in touch. So I don't really know what happens to them after that. Uh, and I think, you know, the Chartered Institute doesn't really know either. <laughs> So actually, it's a real motivation for, for them to understand through my research what impact the work we're doing mm. has. Um, you know, I'm really hopeful that it's positive, but I don't know that until I do the research. I won't know that. So it's really hard to talk about aspirations in that sense as well, because if the research says, yeah, it's great, everyone, you know, makes a real impact, it's all very positive, then kind of I kind of have to go, oh, OK, we'll just carry on doing what we're doing then. <laughs> <laughs> um, if it's patchier, you know, if there's less impact or less obvious impact, maybe less consistent impact, then there's another job of work for me to do there, isn't there? Mm. <laughs> so so um, 
I guess it's about, um, it all comes down to, I suppose, the courses that I lead for the Chartered Institute and ensuring that they're the highest quality they possibly could be, that they are doing what we say on the tin. And if they're not, how do I change that? How do I improve that? Um, and it's not just me. I co-lead them with, with another course leader as well. So we're a little mini team. Um, but until we know the outcomes of my research, it's really hard to know what can we, how can we finesse this? How yeah. can we refine it? What, you know, what, what do we need to do to improve? Um, I'm fairly sure that some of our current participants would tell us, but I think it's, it's really hard until you've got the chartered status and you're some way down the line with that to really talk about what the impact has been mm. rather than what you expect it to be. But it's very clear to me that you're using the PhD to maximise what you're already doing and to be of even more service to the people who you've been supporting and training and, mm. you know, helping to become fantastic accessors and highly skilled in, in that area of work. And that's a very strong personal connection, isn't it? Because some Absolutely. people choose something that has got nothing to do with them personally, but for you, there is your professional life is... is yeah, and, and that's, that's another reason for now being the right time, you know, to come yeah. back right to where we started at the beginning of this conversation. Um, I couldn't have done this particular bit of research until now because I, I wasn't in the right place professionally, let alone personally, to be able to ask the right questions, to be able to have access to the right people and the right data. Um, so, it, yes, it's very, very much tied into my professional life. The research is tied into my professional life um, and vice versa. And actually, sometimes it's really hard to see the boundaries between the two, um, which is both a pro and a con, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> I can see that. Oh, it's so exciting to learn more about your research, Marian. And as we are coming to the end of our conversation, I have one last question for you. But before that, is there anything that you wanted to share? Because I know you always have a lot on your mind and a lot to share. Something we haven't touched upon yet? Um, well, it sort of links to my final comment then, actually, about boundaries, which is priorities and managing, um, you know, studying and researching alongside paid work occasionally yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but also I, I volunteer you know I'm a school governor I, I work in the station garden down the road so it's just about balancing and prioritizing all those things as a mature PGR is probably a bit trickier than as a non-mature PGR and I think that's something that anyone considering doing a PhD really has to think about how will I manage how will this fit in um, you know some things have had to go and that's fine um, because I'm hopefully going to be able to pick them up again once I've got my PhD. But I think that the idea of prioritisation has to be kind of part of the thought process of, of planning to undertake a PhD later in life. Yeah, that's a fantastic tip here, because I was about to say, you know, last question, Marion, what is your top tip for any mature professional who thinks, I think it's just time to do that PhD? So one is really the one prioritization. Is about, yeah, absolutely about the prioritization. Also, it, it really needs to be about something you love, I think, because if it's not, it might be really hard to keep the motivation levels up and to keep going. Um, there are times when I found it hard and I love my topic. Uh, and I'm sure that's that's true of almost every PGR, actually. Um, but if it's not something you love, I think it would be really hard to plough through what seems like the endless reading at times <laughs> um and you know it just yeah if you're not motivated why do it so yeah. I think it has to be about something that that really is close to your heart yeah 
and one day we will celebrate when you when you have passed your viva. Oh, it's been such a joy, Mary. And all I can say is please keep coming to our sessions. Please keep engaging because it's always so rewarding. And yes, I'm following your journey. And I also know I'm following you on LinkedIn. So there's no escape for me. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mary. Thank you, Ruth. All Thank the best. you. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast. Please subscribe so you never miss out on our brand new episodes. And if you're enjoying the discussions, give us some love by dropping a five-star rating and written review as it helps other research culturists find us. And please share with a friend and show them how to subscribe. Thanks for listening and here's to you and your research culture.